Welcome back to another episode of Project Medical. This is Abriana Joel Milberg. And this is Brooke Alexis Somerville. Today we are discussing the positive and negative factors of receiving and not receiving vaccinations and the controversy behind each appointed side. First off, vaccines safely and effectively use a small amount of a weakened or killed virus, bacteria, or bits of lab-made protein that imitate the virus in order to prevent infection by that same virus or bacteria. When you get an immunization, you're injected with a weakened form of a disease. This triggers your body's immune response, causing it to either produce antibodies that particularly align or induce other processes that enhance immunity. Many individuals are against vaccines due to morality, values, and social engagement. Others are opposed to vaccines due to the health effects they would have on them and their children. The negative health effects vaccines would have on individuals skyrocketed since the COVID-19 outburst, and especially when the vaccine became available. COVID-19 has been a hot topic in our country's news since March of 2020. It has caused dilemmas within the healthcare workforce with the persisting trial and error of administrating vaccines to individuals. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, it typically takes two weeks after a vaccination for the body to build protection against the virus, which is COVID-19. You are not fully vaccinated until two weeks after your second dose of the two-dose vaccine, or two weeks after a one-dose vaccine. This is foreseen as being sufficiently effective for almost all individuals. Though those statistics revolve around COVID-19, many vaccines are not fully inputted into your immune system up until one month after it was administrated. There are many controversial ideologies regarding vaccines on whether parents want their children to receive them or if they themselves want to receive them. Through this podcast today, intriguing information will adhere to all sides of receiving vaccines. Thank you for being here with us today, Bridget. Would you like to introduce yourself more on your job, where you work, in your schooling leading up to where you are right now? So, hi, um, I am, uh, actually, I was a retired critical care nurse. I worked for 40 years at Children's in um, the intensive care unit. I retired a couple of years ago and decided to come out of retirement to um, assist with the vaccine effort. So um, I'm currently with um, Hy-Vee, which are doing vaccines at Hy-Vee as well as being hired by private organizations. So most of what I do today is being hired out by private organizations to give the COVID vaccine. What's your opinion on vaccines, especially directed towards COVID-19? So I think as a nurse, a critical care nurse, um, I think it was really, really important early on to go after the target populations where we were seeing the greatest numbers of deaths. And that was in long-term care facilities and the average age of 82. Um, I think we did not do that very effectively. and because COVID was very new. I think there was a rush to do things like intubate a lot of older people where we might have managed that different and we do in many cases manage that different now. But I think um, not having gone after that population where we saw 
months and months and months, if not a year of two thirds of the deaths being the average age of 82 years old was a mistake. Um, so now that we're dropping this to 12 years old, I think there's gonna be a lot more pushback than there was with the elderly populations. I think people are seeing that kids who are otherwise young and healthy where the numbers of actual deaths or critical care hospitalizations are so low that they just don't wanna buy into something like this that has not been studied long-term. Yeah. So what are the major positive factors of receiving any form of vaccination? I think, you know, for anyone in healthcare, um, by the way, we did some surveys when I worked in critical care with the flu vaccine, and there were a number of nurses working in critical care that did not want to get something like the flu vaccine. And so what they did was they sort of broke way with them and said, well, let's survey parents of uh, NICU babies and PICU babies and see what the parents say. The parents overwhelmingly wanted nurses who were vaccinated, and that's because those kids were at very high risk. So I think um, receiving vaccinations, especially if you're a healthcare worker, frontline worker, um, is just imperative. Um, you know, if you do many forms of travel, and because we don't know that much about COVID-19, and we really don't know when we study countries like Norway and Sweden of masking and unmasking, um, how much even masking helps. So putting people on planes and cruise ships without vaccines, I just, I don't know that it'll be possible with COVID-19. I think the other vaccines that we do do for kids there used to be many fewer vaccines when I began nursing, and now there's many more. And parents are really doing a pushback with how many a kid receives at one time, and I would have to agree with that because you really can't know when they're receiving five shots at once which one the kid is having a problem with for the next time. So I think they've added many more things I don't know what that does to kids' long-term immunities, um, but I do think that giving them so many at once is just not a good idea. Otherwise, you know, I'm, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Um, and then maybe talking about that a bit um, of why people don't want to, to get the COVID-19 vaccine or some other vaccines is because they believe they should be able to make that decision and their civil liberty is trampled on when they can't do it. And now if you tell them they can't fly, they can't travel, they can't go to concerts unless you get this. I think the messaging has been mixed overall. The data has been skewed in so many ways that you know people are distrusting. And so with that, what are the major negative factors that steer patients away from receiving these vaccines? Well, the distrust of our reporting, because the reporting is so skewed, depending on what channel you watch, what station you watch. Um, if you go on Twitter versus Facebook, um, who do you follow? It's, you know, people are getting a mixed messaging. And whenever people get mixed messaging, you know, they 
tend to not be very trusting. So if the message came very clear, we are very certain that if you don't wear a mask and you don't stay six feet away, you're going to get this and you're going to become very ill. And here's why. I think if that message was consistent, you know, people would say, okay. Um, but the way we're lifting guidelines or in certain areas of the country, the guidelines are completely open and there are no more cases than there are in places that were locked down for the better part of a year. So that's hard to convince people with that kind of data, um, whether they should or shouldn't do it. But I think they would like more consistency in what's being reported to them. And some people just think that the government has no role in telling people what they should be doing for their health or the health of their kids. Now, especially as we drop the vaccine to 12-year-olds, I think parents are going to be looking very hard at that data because yeah. that is not the area of deaths or, you know, vast hospitalizations in the critical areas for that age group. So I think parents probably are not going to want to do that. Um, plus, here's another thing. It's hard to convince people, and it's going to be hard, um, in the summers and, and a lot in the warm climates now um, throughout the country, people feel well. And so all viruses drop in the summer. Mm -hmm. Well, now is when you're trying to get all these kids, especially college kids, vaccinated to go back to school and people are seeing the numbers drop, well, you know, then the, the, you know, researchers are saying, well, that's fine if they don't get vaccinated this summer because everybody feels well, but in the fall when they have to go back to school, will we see a resurgence in numbers and more shutdowns and that sort of thing. Yeah. In your opinion, or like scientifically proven, what are the most important vaccinations that an individual should receive? Well, I think, um, you know, we have a chart as kids are babies and small, and I think, you know, um, diphtheria, pertussis, tetanus, um, MMR, the meningitis shot, I think those are imperative for kids, especially who are going to school, daycares, um, that sort of thing. But I think, you know, we have some more things to consider, you know, with you know, what's happening in the southern borders in our country. We have many more things coming into the country. Tuberculosis is huge. We don't mandate people, you know, vaccinate against that. Um, we don't, you know, say that they can't leave their area. We don't force them to be tested. We don't force them to have treatment. So there is kind of a double standard for, you know, certain vaccination requirements. Now there are some countries that you can't travel to unless you get yellow fever and you prove you have had yellow fever or malaria prophylaxis and that sort of thing. And those countries just won't let you in unless you've done what they ask you to do. Yeah. So, um, so I think, you know, it's important overall to receive the basic, you know, baby through 12 year old vaccines but now i do think that they have added many more things i mean certainly for our grandkids to get five shots yeah. at one time they were miserable and miserable for days and ran fevers and one of them actually ended up being allergic to the flu shot 
Um, so it's hard to know when you do that many. So I think many more parents are siphoning that out and saying, no, we're not going to do what the guidelines tell us to do. We're going to do one shot at a time and wait four weeks between shots. So I think you're seeing more of that. Yeah. And lastly, what do you think people should know before receiving the vaccine? Well, I think um, I'll tell you what we tell people um, and we're, just giving the Pfizer vaccine. Our kids have, I had Moderna, our kids have had J&J. Um, we tell people, you know what, your arm's gonna be sore for a couple of days. Um, you might have flu-like symptoms, chills, low-grade fever. Um, you may be very fatigued for a couple of days. And then I've heard almost universally, some of those people with those symptoms um, within you know, several hours, all of a sudden they'll say, I felt really terrible when I woke up, my arm was killing me. And then by the time I woke up in the morning, I was fine. Yeah. And this was even healthcare workers that were polled. So, um, you know, we do tell them, yeah, I mean, your body is, you know, now receiving this, you know, blast in the vaccine, trying to boost your immunity and stuff. And so you are gonna feel some of those low grade symptoms, but they're gonna dissipate relatively quickly in, in terms of you actually having the disease. So it's not gonna be like having the disease, it's gonna be lesser. Um, and some people have nothing. I mean, almost universally, when I asked 80 year olds, cause I give first and second vaccines, did you have any trouble with your first vaccine? It's basically the same vaccine. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, no, no, my arm is sore for a couple of days or I was super tired, um, but nobody, and I've given thousands now in that age group have said, oh, I just felt terrible. Yeah. So I think, you know, we just, we tell them the basic things, um, what they can feel like. Um, we watch them for, depending on if they have histories of being allergic to other vaccines, we'll watch them for 15 to 30 minutes after we give the vaccine just to make sure, you know, they're doing okay and don't have an allergic reaction. Um, again, that's not happened to me with the thousands I've given, um, the one or two that we talked about earlier that um, had sort of uh, unusual um, reactions, I think were lesser about the vaccine and more about something underlying with them. Yeah. So um, those are, I think it's, it's, it is overall safe. And um, I think if we wanna get back to some kind of normalcy, we're probably gonna end up having to do this. I mean, everybody wants to reach herd immunity, um, but again, convincing some people that, you know, this is the route to go, it's a tough sell still. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here and talking on Project Medical, educating us more about vaccinations. We greatly appreciate your insight and hope to have you as a guest sometime soon again regarding more controversial topics within healthcare. We were honored to host an expert on vaccinations to talk on Project Medical about her experience with them and the delegations between the controversies she experiences at her job. We know vaccines are important to some individuals and families, but some are timid about receiving them due to myths and misconceptions promoted by the news and social interactions. 
According to the World Health Organization, vaccines prevent more than 2.5 million deaths each year. Though this is accurate for those who receive vaccines, there are many individuals who are against vaccinations due to the negative side effects they could have on their health. The most common reoccurring arguments of misconceptions presented by individuals, mostly by parents, are the MMR, so the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine cause autism, and vaccines are not tested enough. The myth of the MMR vaccines causing autism arises because the timing of the autism diagnosis often coincides with the time of MMR vaccination, which is between the ages of 15 to 18 months. Affected children, however, often demonstrate signs of autism before this, suggesting another cause. This myth was exaggerated in 1998 after the journal Lancet published the Wakefield study of 11 children, eight with autism, who had intestinal complaints and developed autism within one month of receiving the MMR vaccine. Addressing the second myth that vaccines aren't tested enough still arises after its licensure. According to the Texas Children's Hospital, before any vaccine is licensed and recommended, it must go through a lengthy testing process in thousands of people's hands to ensure its safety. After licensure, vaccines are continually monitored for any uncommon and rare side effects by examining disease reports from each health department nationwide and vaccine surveillance systems, such as Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System and Vaccine Safety Data Link. There are more misconceptions about the administration of vaccines. Everyone upholds their own beliefs regarding them and is a topic that holds a lot of value in one's life, making it hard to alter an opinion. Though some are opposed to receiving vaccines, it is important to respect their choices since it impacts their life, the healthcare system, and the moral and physical development of the world. This episode of Project Medical was sufficient in regards to our country's healthcare administration with the COVID-19 vaccine. It was great to host an expert on vaccines and provide more knowledge in how administrating them within the healthcare workforce differs from what we perceive about them since we only received them. Thank you for joining us today for this episode on vaccines on Project Medical. We hope you tune in next week to cover the topic of addressing mental health and the controversy it promotes to individual adolescents and adults. Music